Our Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. This can be found in a church Bible, page 1188. One Thessalonians five, one to eleven. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, Peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You all are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. So let me pray with you uh, uh, together uh, before we start. Dear Lord, just as by the Holy Spirit you inspired Paul to write this letter, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will open our hearts and minds to hear what you are saying through it to us today. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so that passage is on 1188, page 1188 in, in the Bibles if you want to follow. That would be helpful. I went to watch a nativity play uh, on last Monday. It was, and let me get this right, it was pre-reception children putting on the play. So that's three-year-olds to you and I. And, uh, and it included my grandson. And it was great. I loved this play. One of the reasons I particularly liked it was because there were no weird additions to the nativity play. You didn't get Chris, Father Christmas great crushing it, uh, with his elves. There were no aliens in it at all. If you've ever watched Love, actually, and there are no lobsters in it. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing that caught my attention, as well as that, was a character, this a young girl with a very clear voice who would uh, stand up at intervals throughout the play and say, is that the end of the story? It seems we are surrounded by people, in this country at least, who behave as if the birth of Jesus is the end of the story. I guess we all know that it's not because you would be missing the whole point of him coming if that's what you thought. Uh, We know that he lived this amazing life like no other, that he gave his life for us uh, that we might be forgiven. He died that we might live and then was raised to life to show the truth of it. But that still is not the end of the story. We are, in fact, in the story still, waiting, as those Christians in Thessalonica were back in Paul's time, for the second advent when Jesus will return. 
So as we think about Christmas, as we approach it, there are in some ways where we're like the people of old who looked for and waited for the first advent, the coming of the Messiah. Only now we wait for his return. So when Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, he's writing to a people like us who are waiting, waiting for Christ's return. And in this section of the letter, which is from 4.13 to 5.11, we're looking at the second part of it, Paul is addressing two questions uh, about the second advent that have been troubling this church in Thessalonica as they await the day of the Lord. So these are the two questions. What happens to those who have died, to our loved ones? If Jesus has not yet come, how will they fit into his return? Second question. When Jesus returns in his glory as the judge of all people, will we be ready? How do we know whether we are? Because this coming in judgment is all a bit frightening. Well, I think these two questions are questions that many ask themselves in one form or another today. It's every bit as relevant as when Paul wrote it. You see, bereavement is tough. Not only because you just lost your loved one, but because it makes you think uh, about your own mortality. Where do we stand? Last Sunday, Mike spoke on the first part, which is from chapter 4, 13 to the end of that chapter. We're looking at five, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And we're looking at the second question. Will we be ready? Now I hope you see that this is not some sort of theoretical question. Humanly speaking, it's not unreasonable to ask ourselves, if we are Christians, this question. Even if you're not, since we know that at some point or other, uh, we will come to the end of our life here. And how will we stand when it is the end of the story? So I want you to imagine for a moment if Jesus appeared right now, here, would you be ready? So we're going to look at my first point, sorry, which is not on the back of your sheet because I didn't get myself organised, but this is it. The first point, judgment, the wrong solution. And I'm going to read the first three verses. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman. They will not escape. First thing I ask myself is, why does Paul mention something he says he doesn't need to write to them about? Well, he does because they seem to have decided on the wrong solution to the problem, to their anxiety. They rationalised that if they could know when Jesus was coming, then they could make sure they were ready. I suppose that's logical in a way, but a bit naive. So what Paul is saying to them, they should not need to go over this again, as he has already explained that that cannot be the solution. But then sometimes we do need to go over things again, don't we? To remind ourselves again of the truth. They should already know that nobody does or will know 
the date or the time. It'll come suddenly. That's the whole thing. But maybe Paul quoted to them what Jesus said, and it's recorded in Mark chapter 13. But about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angel is in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Now surely that ends the argument, doesn't it? But I suppose they still have that concern. In my opinion, knowing when the day would be would actually be no help to you whatsoever. But I'm not going to get distracted by going down that road. We're going to instead look at the two metaphors that Paul uses here to direct our thinking. He talks about the thief in the night, and then he talks about the labour pains of a pregnant woman. Now, thieves don't give you any warning when they're coming, do they? They don't send you a text, I'm coming at six tonight to take some of your stuff, is that okay? (laughs) Their very aim is to come suddenly when you don't expect them. So it will be with Jesus. People will be saying, peace and safety. They can imagine that they are entirely secure from being faced with a day of reckoning. But then suddenly that day will come. And there will be no escaping it. So this metaphor tells us that it's going to be a surprise and it won't be expected. Now those two things are not necessarily the same thing. Things can still surprise you even when you, don't ex- when you do expect them. Sorry. So you're watching a thriller on TV and this character enters a house looking for the bad guy and the house is really dark. He doesn't turn on the lights because that would you know, spoil things. So, so he's walking around the house and uh, uh, you're looking for the bad guy and the music builds up the tension, doesn't it? And you know someone is about to jump out on him. But all the same, when it does happen, you jump out of your seat, don't you? Well, I do. So the second metaphor, however, is different. As labour pains on a pregnant woman. I can still remember when my wife uh, had the labour pains. It did come as a surprise, but it wasn't unexpected. So what Paul has done here is said that you won't know. It will come suddenly. It'll be a surprise. But he has introduced the idea that for some it will be expected and for others it won't. So hold that thought because that might help you to look at the second point that he makes. Uh, So my second point is the right solution. Staying alert, verses 4 to 8. So I will read that. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So Paul continues this argument, uh, using the thief uh, in the night to illustrate that, Um, but to show now how we know whether we are ready or not. But he uses the same um, metaphor, which is quite clever. Not that Paul needs me to tell him he's clever, but he uses it. So there's three reasons why the thief will take you by surprise. 
or catch you unprepared, to be more specific. First of all, he comes in the night. He comes when it's dark, so you're less likely to see him. Secondly, he comes in the night because that's when you're most likely to be asleep. And thirdly, if you're not asleep, maybe you've been partying and you could be drunk at night. So that's what you don't want to be. You want him to come in the daytime, when it's light, and you've got to be awake and alert and sober. Well, okay, but how does that help us answer the question, how do we know we're ready? Well, he's drawing a parallel with how we stand with Jesus Christ in a spiritual sense, in our relationship, in this story. So let's look at it another way. Um, Will Jesus come in the day or the night? The answer is both. For some, it will be as if they are in darkness in the night. For others, they will be in the day. Unbelievers live in darkness. They belong to the night because they live in the night. They are asleep. They're not conscious of the reality of Jesus. But when he comes, they will be. It will take them entirely by surprise. But Paul is reminding those who have put their faith and trust in him of what they are. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that the day should surprise you like a thief. And he goes on, verse 5. You are children of the light and of the day. Verse 8. They belong to the day, not the night. Okay, let's explain this uh, a bit more. The Bible speaks of there being two ages. What it calls the present age, which is the Old Testament onwards, and the age to come. The present age is like one long dark night until the Messiah came and the sun would rise. Like daybreak, the light would flood in. Jesus came into the world on that first Christmas and brought in the age to come. So I've got some um, verses here. First from Isaiah uh, chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Then we go to Luke chapter 1, where Zechariah is talking to his newborn son, John the Baptist. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Finally, from 1 Peter, Peter talking to then Christians, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special procession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. But the thing is, the old age um, has not yet come to an end. It overlaps with the age to come. So some are in darkness and some are in light. Only when Christ returns will that transition transition end and the old age vanish so whether you're ready or not depends upon which age you belong to whether in darkness or now in light 
So Paul urges us then to behave as those who belong to the day. Be alert, it says, verse 6. Be self-controlled, verse 8. Arm yourselves. Be alert. That doesn't mean you have to sit bolt upright every night in case Jesus returns. To be alert, it means you are to stay those who trust in Jesus. They being those who belong to the day. We are to arm ourselves, it says, verse 8. But note what we are to arm ourselves with. It is with faith, with love, and the hope of salvation. Now the Bible teaches that there is a power, Satan, who wants anything but that you and I would put our trust in Jesus and know his salvation. And I'm just going to read a bit from Tim Keller's book, um, Encounters with Jesus. Talking here. Satan doesn't control us with fang marks in the flesh, but with lies to the heart. We see this in the Garden of Eden where Satan tempts Adam and Eve. He doesn't come in with all sorts of special effects. He suggests ideas to the heart that contradict God's word, impugn his character and destroy the trust relationship we have with him. The same should be true with us. Our best defence in the fight against the influence of Satan's lies is generally not the production of incantations, but the rehearsal of truth. So let us hold to the truth that Christ came into the world as promised. He died to become our means of forgiveness and salvation as promised. He was raised from the dead as promised and he will return as promised. So this is my third and final point. The foundations for Christian hope. So Paul now sets out the basis for the faith and hope. So some may be anxious and afraid about the day of the Lord because it means judgment. So how could they be confident it would bring them salvation instead? He says two things here. Verse 9. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation. Now notice what he says there. God has appointed them. Us, who trust in him, not to be subject to judgment, to wrath. The reason why Jesus came in the first place is it's because it's God's idea, it's his plan and purpose that we should be saved. It is by his appointment. Secondly, verse 9, that that should be through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. His death and our life are deliberately and inseparably connected. They are worried about whether they would be ready. But you may ask yourselves exactly what did they think that we could do that would make us ready? Be on our best behaviour the week before? Surely they and we know have learnt that we cannot do anything to save ourselves. The only thing we can contribute to our salvation is our sin. No, the future salvation, our future salvation, depends on God's purpose, our future life on Christ's death. Our hope of salvation 
is then well-founded because it's not on our performance or on how we feel but on God's plan made possible through Jesus Christ. All we need do is to trust in him with faith, love and the hope of salvation and to live with that hope. So to conclude, we need not be anxious about Christ's return for the one who comes as our judge is the very same Jesus who gave his life for them and for you and I. To the end that, do you see in verse 10, we may live together with him. That is a glorious thought, isn't it? So this then is no vague hope to think about when you're nearing death, but a faith that should transform your life. For now on, everything else is seen through the light of it. The difficult things that we may face now are temporary. For his purpose is that we should live with him forever. But as I finish, notice how Paul ends the whole passage in verse 11. Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. God means us to be a community of mutual support. The world can be a tough place, unfriendly. It is easy to get hurt by it. As the questions, I guess, bring out. Bereavement is a painful experience and we are prone to fear judgment. We can get discouraged, depressed. So we are to be a people who show sympathy, friendship, kindness and love. We're to share the truth of God's word and his promise, to encourage and to build each other up. Christ is coming, yes, but the Christ who is coming is the very same Christ who died for us and rose again in order that we might live with him. The coming king is then none other than the crucified and risen saviour. So neither death nor bereavement nor judgment can separate us from him who died to bring us to himself. So comfort, encourage and build each other up with these words. Amen.